Well, this morning we continue our series in the Gospel of Luke, and so if you have a Bible or one near you, it should be one in, in behind one of your seats uh, to your left or right. Turn to Luke chapter 22, and we'll be looking at uh, verse 47 and continuing on there. But as uh, we look this morning into God's Word, I, I was reminded uh, early uh, this morning uh, about what we've just all experienced, which was Thanksgiving. I had a number of people say, well, how was your Thanksgiving? And and in the first service, there was a challenge to, to return thanks and just give specific praise to God about things that have been occurring in your life. And, and, and as we think about that, sometimes it's a challenge. We have a tendency to, to say the same things over and over again. Uh, I'm thankful for my family and my friends. Uh, if we're in a place like this, we say, I'm thankful for Jesus or the Word of God or prayer. Uh, but then we kind of dry up a little bit. And if you've never tried this, I encourage you, if you want to expand the specifics of your prayer time or praise time, uh, try alphabet praise. Take the, the letters A through Z, and you have to come up with something that you're thankful that begins with each letter of the alphabet. And then if you're really, if really excited, you can go through the alphabet numerous times, returning thanks for whatever it is that begins with any of those letters. And, and we need to recognize that all good things come from above, and, and God has, has just blessed us with so many things. But also, uh, right before the service started, in the first service, someone kind of spoiled my kind of Thanksgiving weekend because they asked me the question, and I don't know if you've had this question asked you already, but are you ready for Christmas? Anybody had anybody ask you that question? And I'm thinking, We're, it's still in Thanksgiving season, and you're asking me, am I ready for Christmas? But to tell you the truth, if you were to look in my neighborhood, uh, there are people who already have their Christmas lights up. Anybody live in neighborhoods like that? And for some of them, they've had them up for two weeks. And, and for some of them, it's been up for a whole year. They never took down last year's, right? And we live in a culture, in an American culture, where Christmas begins early, particularly if you go into stores because they always want us to buy things, right? And so you, they have Christmas decorations. They're trying to provoke you to, to whatever it might be, either to redecorate your home or to purchase that special gift for someone. And, and we're always in Christmas mode. If you listen to, to uh, Christmas to Christian stations, they now dedicate from the Sunday on, it seems like, after Thanksgiving for Christmas music for a month. And all you hear is Christmas music. And it's, what's interesting about that, if you were to look at the Bible, uh, just even superficially, and look at the four Gospels, which account the life of Jesus, you discover something rather um, surprising. Out of the four Gospels, only two of them say a word about Christmas. And yet we, we think that's the most important month of the year, December, to think about spiritual things. So we dedicate even culturally an entire month about uh, this event called Christmas. But in all four Gospels, there isn't necessarily a, a, a mention of Christmas everywhere, but there is a mention of the cross. And so this morning, what we are really doing is we're, we're looking back at to what is most important in the heart of God. Now, this is not to diminish Christmas, because if Jesus did not come in a miraculous way uh, on Christmas, in the virgin birth and the fulfillment of all the prophecies, He would not have the credentials for us to believe that He is who He claimed to be, the Son of the living God. But really, the focus is, why did He come? Not so much how did He come, and that is significant, but why did He come? The Bible says he came not to be served, but to serve. And then it goes on and says, and to give his life a ransom for many. Jesus came to seek and to save that which was lost. And that's a sobering truth is the reason the cross and 
the resurrection is so prominent in the record of the life of Jesus for us from the inspired authors is because we want and are compelled to understand why he came. He came to solve the problem, and the problem, as some theologians profoundly have said, the problem is what? It's us. Or to make it more personal, the problem is me. It's easy to point fingers at other people. The Bible says that we're all sinners and fall short of the glory or the standard of God. And so this morning, we look at the, the footsteps of Jesus to the cross as he lives out his last, actually, hours before being put on that cross. And, and, and we see what led up and what ought to compel us to be fully convinced of who he is and what he came to do. If you have your outlines, I invite you to turn to that. And the message title is really the theme of this morning. And it's really all about Jesus, the, the series of Knowing the Truth About Jesus. And what we're looking at this morning about Jesus is Jesus shows that it's, it works and it's true. And you say, well, what, why did you entitle that? Because really what I want to impress on all of our hearts and minds here is if people were to ask you, why do you believe? Why do you follow Jesus? Why do you go to a place like this and are in a worship experience? Well, you know, why do you claim to be a Christian? Why do you claim to be a follower of Christ? And hopefully you have an answer. It's not just, well, that's because I live in America. And I've had people tell me, what are you? Well, I'm a Christian. Why are you a Christian? Because I was born in America, and it's a Christian nation. Uh, it doesn't make a whole lot of sense. Um, there, there ought to be more than this is culturally who we are. It's called cultural Christianity. Why is it you believe? Because if you can't answer that, what will it take you for, to not believe? And how do you know and what compels you to live it out when, quite frankly, you aren't too pleased with God because of what you're encountering or experiencing? And what I want to submit to you that, that Jesus gives validation for who he is, but because as he sets the example, as he lives it out, it, it shows that it works. And in all that he did and said and accomplished, it, it shows that it works. And hopefully it works in your life, and you've come to that place in your life, you're convinced it's true. So try to unpack it this way. Jesus shows it works and it's true, and the question is, well, how? How does he do that? And, and what is the it? What is it, it, that works? It's Christianity. That the Christianity is not just one of many options in terms of, of being religious, but it is the truth. Well, how, how is that demonstrated? How is that shown? Well, let me, let me give you the bottom line before I preach the bottom line when you really examine christianity it all does rise and fall in jesus it's not it's not taking the the microscope and look at, at all of his followers and say well do they all demonstrate that it works and it's true because if you do that or you've heard other people do that you'll find out there are many reasons why people wouldn't believe in jesus because you look at some of his followers back then throughout history, and now we don't always show up too well, do we? We fall, fall short of, of what it means to, to be a person to experience not only what the Bible claims that we can have eternal life, but abundant life that we can experience love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. We don't, we don't look like people under control. We look like we're out of control. We don't look like people who are loving. We look like people who are hateful or, or, or vengeful. We don't 
express to people that we're filled with peace, but, but anxiety and despair. And, and how, how, how can people believe when they don't see it in the people who say they do believe? And, and when people react against Christianity by, by only looking at Christians, they miss the point because you should only look at, at who? Jesus. And hopefully we'll see that. Now, how do you, how do you know if someone's faith is working or what they have is real is, is when, it, when it passes the test of what happens when things aren't going well, when things are going wrong, when things aren't going right, when things aren't going according to the agenda or plan that you want. And again, as you look at Jesus, you'll see that Jesus passes the test. Now, in many ways, and hopefully this all comes together, I have a couple things. Not only do we want to show why we ought to believe, it works and it's true, but I also want to show well, how should it be lived out, and we'll see it, it in the example of Jesus in the, the simplest areas of life as well as the more difficult areas of life. So hopefully with that as an introduction, I grabbed you and said, well, let, let's see Jesus at the most intense part of his time here right before he went to the cross. Now, if you are familiar with the story, and and Pastor Bill shared the last uh, two or three weeks, is, is that Jesus was immersed in his last week here before the cross. And he had the heights and he had the depths of life. And, and as he goes through that, his disciples go along with him, and, and they're experiencing it as well. And, and they're wrestling with, with what it means to follow Jesus and to, to follow Jesus faithfully. Jesus comes in his last week and, and encounters a, a time in which celebration is happening. He comes into Jerusalem and, and, and the crowds are going wild. It's what we call the triumphal entry. And, and Jesus comes in and everyone is proclaiming, Hosanna, Hosanna, save us now. Here is the Messiah. Here is the promised one. Here is the Christ. And, and it looks like they're going to anoint him king right then. Of course, Jesus prevents that. But it looks like all that, that people anticipated about Jesus was now going to come to pass. The kingdom was now going to be set up here on earth. And the oppression of Rome would be, would be destroyed. And he would now lead them into victory. And they could follow him. But they missed it because he wanted to change what was from within and not focus so much on what was with, from without in terms of their experience. But his disciples are watching and they're seeing the height of ecstasy. And then for a couple days, Jesus begins to teach in the temples. And he teaches by words, but also by action. As he, he, he teaches in a vivid way that there is a problem from within. And, and one of the easiest ways to see that is through our worship. Because it was a false worship. It was a self, self-giving type of worship. And, and in the temple area, he, he had to cleanse it because they were gouging the people in, in deepest need. And, and those who were spiritual leaders were... were were gaining money from people who were trying to give it to the Lord. And in many ways, they saw the victory of Jesus as he, as he turned over the tables of the money changers, and they saw him in his power. And again, I'm sure they began to begin lifted up, and here is the one he's demonstrating again, and him being able to do the miraculous and powerful and leading people and, and turning people's hearts away from that which is wrong. And then they, again, hear him teach and to preach. He's in the temple area, confounding those who, who felt they knew it all. And, and when they heard Jesus, they realized they didn't know it all. But then comes a couple experiences that begin to, to kind of bring them down from the heights of anticipation because he has a dinner with them. And you think, well, that's, that's a great experience. We, we just 
Most have had opportunity to have a Thanksgiving meal and celebrate the, the bounty of life. And, and so they ha- he celebrated the Passover with them. But what Jesus did, he, he, he changed everything. Now, all of you out there like change, right? Now you, just, you, just, you just love change. Most of us resist change because we get out of our comfort zone. And, and, and normally that's just our routine that upsets us. But this was, this was changing everything about what they had believed and understood. Because the Passover was a time to celebrate what God had done in the past as he passed over their sin and, and brought them out of Egypt, had, had freed them from physical slavery, and now he was changing all the symbols. It was not about what God had done in the past, but what he was going to do in the, the very near future. As the bread and the cup would not symbolize praising God for what he had done, but for the sacrifice that was going to be made by their master. Jesus was going to die on their behalf and for all those who would respond in faith. And, and, and this, was, this was overwhelming to them. Here, here they're their conquering master, teacher, leader, the one who was proclaimed as the, the king of the Jews, even at his birth, and now some were saying it now, and, and now he was going to be put to death. And, and then he said, also, there's going to be someone who's going to betray us, and that, that just didn't make sense, and they were questioning, well, who, who would that be? And then Jesus takes them out to a prayer meeting. Now, let's be honest. Most of us, if we're going to look at what's the most exciting thing to do, let's go for an hour prayer meeting. All right. Well, they were already tired, exhausted. It was probably midnight. It was probably maybe one in the morning. They had already had a long day. In those days, basically, people got up really early in the morning. When the sun, sun rose, you got up. Okay, And so they had had a full week already with the highs and lows of life. And, and now Jesus is inviting them to pray. Well, one of the enemies of, of prayer life, if you wait till the end of the day to pray, is that when you, hit, when you maybe lie down to, to kind of just relax and focus, you fall what? Fall asleep. Well, you're in good company because the disciples did as well. And even though Jesus woke them up three times to, keep, to, to start praying, they, they fell back. And it, there's a commentary in the text where he said that he saw them and, he, and they were filled with sorrow. Because even though they didn't completely understand it, they, they realized that Jesus had been telling some things they didn't want to believe. Have you ever had that happen to you where people tell you something and you don't want to believe it? And they were, they were hearing about Jesus going to be suffer for their sake. And what they didn't know, that Jesus wanted to pray not only for his benefit, but also for their benefit because he said, well, I'm warning you, you're going to be facing trials and temptation from the evil one who's going to try to destroy you. And, and the only solution to that is to depend upon, upon God and the way you express that is through prayer. Prayer is not a ritual. It's a relationship in which we communicate with the living God and we learn to depend upon Him, not ourselves. It's, it's not simply doing your religious duty. It's coming in the presence of the God who loves you so much that, that he, he wants to be near you, particularly in times of trouble. So in, in the midst of all that, Jesus, who had prayed, will you take this cup from me? Is there any way possible you can provide the way of salvation apart from the separation between the Father and the Son? And, and the answer to that is no. There's only one worthy sacrifice for our sin, and that's God himself. And Jesus, the Son of God, was going to die in our place. 
So in the midst of all this, and, and hopefully as I paint the picture here, you're realizing that if somehow we get the picture that God, through His Son Jesus, is offering us a better life, that is true. But if we think it's an offering an easy life, that's not true. God says it's going to be awesome, but it's not going to be easy. That we're going to experience the abundance and only enjoy that only God can give, but it's going to go through difficult times often in our lives. And so with this, Jesus sets the example about how to live the life, but also gives reasons for us to believe because it's true and it works, and it works in the life of Jesus. If he can't live it, we can't live it. Well, let's, let's pick it up in Luke chapter 22, beginning at verse 47. And really, the, the points I'm going to share with you are, are pretty just simple observations out of the text. But it's, it's Jesus encountering life that he had prayed that he would not have to go through, but he did. And it was going to happen earlier than probably he wanted, right? If, if there's something bad that's going to happen, you hope it's delayed as long as possible. Isn't that true? You know, ho- hope it's down the road a little bit. But it doesn't happen. It happens immediately after he gets out of prayer, which is another interesting thing. Sometimes when you pray, you think, now I'm ready for what happens next, and then something happens next, <laughs> and you realize you may be not quite prepared for it as, as you thought you were. This is exactly what happened to Jesus. Luke chapter 22, beginning at verse 47. Just reading the first verse here. What, what did Jesus demonstrate that it, it worked in his life and also was true? When the hour had come... Uh, I'm sorry, Luke 22, verse 47. After the Passover meal and after the time in prayer, verse 47, while he was still speaking, behold, a crowd came, and the one called Judas, one of the twelve, was preceding them, and he approached Jesus to kiss him. Now, for some reason, as I read that passage, I was just thinking something very, very straightforward. Jesus was, was speaking, which he was speaking to his disciples. He was teaching them. And how many have ever had the experience of being interrupted? Anybody ever had experience of someone interrupting you when you're talking? You just love that, don't you, right? <laughs> yeah, he, he, and if you're a teacher and you've got some points you want to say and then all of a sudden something happens that causes you not to be able to finish whatever your lesson you're trying to teach, that's even more frustrating. And, and, and Jesus, I mean, obviously he knew what was going to happen and all the details, but still, as he went through it in his human nature, he experienced the frustrations that we did in the midst of the teaching, in the midst of trying to get out of what was going to happen, but submitting his will to the Father. While he was still doing ministry, it happened. And, and what happened is he was going to be betrayed. And, and I would just say this. Jesus showed he could respond well to the difficult interruptions in life. And isn't that one way to show if it works for you? When someone changes your plans for today, how do you respond? When someone interrupts your agenda, how do you respond? When things don't go according to maybe your well-laid-out plans, how do you respond? Jesus was still speaking, and Judas comes up to betray him with a kiss. In your Bible study this week, you'll look at another time in which Jesus was interrupted and how he had handled it beautifully. And sometimes we need to examine our own life. How do, how do we respond the interruptions of life. Jesus did so well. But secondly, Jesus showed it's possible to endure the pain of the betrayal of a friend. And, and this is the heart of the passage, verse 48. But Jesus said to him, Judas, and, and any of you uh, name any of your children Judas? 
Anybody do that? Anybody know anybody who named their children Judas? That, that's hard to do because Judas is synonymous with traitor, isn't it? It wasn't before this event, but it was after this event. But Jesus said to him, Judas, are you betraying the Son of Man with a kiss? Uh, a, a term of affection and how brutally um, picturesque this is, is that when, when you're betrayed by someone that is close to you, it's like a person that you express affection or affirmation do the exact opposite. It, it, it's one thing to be disappointed by people we hardly know. I mean, it still bothers us, but it, it doesn't hurt us deeply, doesn't it? But whether it's a, a child or a, another family member or someone close to you, maybe someone at work or someone that you thought was very close to you, and all of a sudden they do the opposite in terms of being loyal to you or what that you, at least assumingly, had believed in, it, it hurts deeply. And Jesus encountered that. And again, what I want to say to us all is that as we think about this, Jesus shows that even when things go wrong in a hurtful way, in a heart-rendering way, Jesus still moved on to live out the plan for his life, to live faithfully to the, to the will of his heavenly Father. And God has called us to live that out and say that's, that's part of, of living for Jesus. And he was betrayed by one close to him. And maybe, uh, maybe that touches where some of you are right now. And, and if, it's, if it's not the betrayal of a friend, maybe what you are thinking right now is a betrayal of God to you. Maybe it's a family member who's facing physical challenges to the point where it's life-threatening. Right before the first service, um, Jan came up to me and said, this is going to be my last Sunday in church for a while. I said, well, wh why? And I actually anticipate this because I've been in touch with the situation, but her husband, who's been homebound in a, actually a, a residential care facility, is, is basically on hospice now and is going to be brought back into her home. And she's going to be the primary caregiver. She couldn't be because of other issues before. And now her freedom, and she's an active person, is going to be completely restricted because the one she's loved and been dedicated to is, is now going to be in the last weeks, months of his life in her home. And some of you are facing that. Your, your whole life changes because someone in your family circle or friendship circle, and you've you realize it's your place now to restrict what you do for the sake of others. And you wonder, God, it's almost like God's betraying you. God, why are you allowing this to happen? And we need to recognize that whatever we've gone through, Jesus has gone through as well. And, and why, should, why should Christianity be believed in? Because it works. And some of your testimonies, it works for you. And you are showing it to others that in the midst of things that, that are very painful or difficult, you still experience the love of Jesus in your life, and he's the one who gets you through. So Jesus showed he can respond well to the difficult interruptions of life, show that it's possible to endure the pain of the betrayal of a friend. And thirdly, this is an interesting part of the whole occasion here, 
is Jesus showed the message of Christianity is not to be spread by force or violence. Uh, look at this in, in verses 49 through 51. When those who were around him saw what was going to happen, this is his disciples, they said, Lord, shall we strike with a sword? And one of them struck to the, the slave of the high priest and cut off his right ear. But Jesus answered and said, Stop, no more of this. And he touched his ear and he healed him. Now, what I want to do is digress to a certain degree, but really kind of teach this point, or try to teach this point, is we think about Jesus not resulting to violence um, and coercion and force to, to convince people of who he is and his mission. We need to recognize that doubting the truth of Christianity because the actions of Christians is understandable but not valid. Now, the reason I throw that in, if, if you read it all and are aware of what's happening in the community that objects to Christianity in terms of its veracity, what has is, what is come to pass now in our country is what's called the new atheist. And the new atheist is not simply a person who says, an atheist is a person who doesn't believe in God. But the new atheist says, not only do I not believe in God, I don't think you should either. And the reason I don't think you should either, and they're going on the offense, is because religion, and they make it general, and, they get, and then they get specific, religion is, is hurtful to your life and hurtful to everybody else's life. And one of the reasons they say that, and try to back it up with um, their points of reference, is that, well, look at what religion has done in our world. Now, we are... Uh, we are all familiar with ISIS and some of the things that are happening with terrorists and how that's kind of tied to a fanatical religious viewpoint. And they begin to spread that out to everyone who believes in God. And eventually what they do, and this is the fact that their favorite uh, religion to attack, is Christianity. They say, well, how, how, can you, how can you convince people that Christianity is true when look how well it's worked or not worked in the lives of its followers? And they will say, well, have you, heard anything, have you heard anything about, like, the Crusades? Usually when you're trying to commit someone to the reality of Christianity, you don't bring up the Crusades. Would you agree with that? that that's kind of part of our history we would just as soon forget. But it's out there. And they would say, look, you, have, you, you being religious, the religious Christians have, have killed thousands and thousands and thousands of people just because they didn't believe like you believe. But what I would say to you, Number one is, we don't try to convince people that Christianity is true based on the lifestyle or the behavior of other Christians or just Christians because it really is based on who Jesus is. And if you look at this text, you need to understand, in fact, let me just ask the very obvious question. Does everybody who goes to any church, Christian church uh, in America, are they all Christians? Does everybody who go to church, are they followers of Jesus? The answer is no, right? Because we invite people who aren't Christians to come hear about Jesus, right? And, and so everyone who comes to a church aren't necessarily Christians. And then we could even take another step further. Are, is, is everybody who claims to know Jesus, are, are they truly Christians? The answer to that is no. Is everyone who is a follower of Jesus, are they all uh, mature, obedient Christians? The answer to that is No. And so as you look at all the different ways that people who claim to be Christians or are immature in Christian or aren't obedient in Christianity, we would not expect them to live a life that would show that they know Jesus and are experiencing the power uh, and, and life change in their life. And so also as we look at that is we look at groups of people in the 
uh, in the past, as well as the present who do things and claim to be Christian, we, we need to recognize much of that had nothing to do with Christianity. If you look at the Crusades and you study the Crusades, they were not about religious issues. As, uh, uh, they were about geopolitical power. The Crusades were fought because the, the Christian church, the Catholic church, and the state, there was no separation. They were joined together. And the Crusades happened because they didn't want to lose their European power uh, in the land. And so they fought to retain their, their political power. And then other times they fought to defend their power that had been taken from them. It had nothing to do about, is Jesus Lord and Savior? But even more powerfully than that, you look at the teachings of Jesus. Did Jesus ever teach that you are to convince uh, the Muslims or those who believe in Islamic faith that if they don't believe, you ought to coerce them, either believe or die. Did he ever teach that? Now, even look here, when he was going to be arrested illegally, unjustly, and irrationally, there's no reason they should have arrested him other than the, the sinfulness in their heart. And, and when his own disciples, who were always filled with courage when he was around, uh, do, do you ever, uh, you know, I, don't, I might be more guys to get involved in that, but sometimes... Um, uh, you know, bullying has been around forever. Now we just hear more about it. You know, there were always people that would pick on other people. And, and what's interesting about that, unless you're the biggest guy in the neighborhood, uh, if some big guy came in your neighborhood, you know, you kind of, you were very, very careful. But if you had your guys with you, <laughs> it changed everything, right? Because, hey, we can, we can, we can tackle this together. Uh, and, and when Jesus was there, they were filled with courage. And when Jesus wasn't there physically, they weren't filled with courage. In fact, the addendum to this story is that when, when Jesus was arrested and taken away, they fled. But when Jesus was there, he said, hey, we'll fight them all. And, and you need to understand it. When they said, he, we'll fight them, they were probably a band of 12 plus 1 is 13 with Jesus. And because it was, it was early in the morning, you know, maybe 1 or 2 in the morning. The prayer, the prayer in Gethsemane was probably at midnight. Um, and, and the crowd that came to arrest Jesus were probably in the hundreds. The religious leaders had appealed to Rome, and so they had the, the Roman soldiers, and they could have brought as many as 600. They probably didn't bring that many. But we're talking, they were in the minority, not the majority, but they were willing to battle for Jesus. And Jesus says, stop. Don't pull out the sword. And, and you look at the consistency of Jesus' teaching. He said to Pilate, and when Pilate talked about the kingdom and the world, he said, look, my kingdom is not of this world. And if it was this world, I would call down a legion of angels to fight for me. In fact, it says 12 legions in the gospel account in Matthew 26. And we sing a song, 10,000. He could have called down 10,000 angels, if you're familiar with that hymn. And, and, and let me just give you a glimpse of how powerful, and of course, Jesus could have done it himself, but if he had had an angel. You know, in the, in the Old Testament, one angel, and this is found in 1 Kings, that one angel came down and killed 185,000 Assyrians who were attacking God's people. He didn't need to bring down a legion of angels. One angel would have done the job. Jesus could coerce people. He could, he could judge people with just a snap of his fingers. But Jesus does not force people into the kingdom of God. They've got to come willingly and humbly and with a heart of faith. And, and so any horrific things that have been done in the name of Christ, they weren't done in the name of Christ following his teachings. Does that make sense? And, and so when, when people object to Christianity because of other Christians, that's understandable. 
but it's not valid. Because Jesus is the one, he's the only one, is the measuring stick about whether Christianity is true. Now, we are called to live lives where people can see Jesus in us. And when we don't, that, that clouds the message of Jesus. But when we respond to people's objections, and they, you know, take Northern Ireland. Are you familiar with Northern Ireland? You know, the, the battle between Protestants and Catholics? Which basically say, well, you know, even people who um, are related to Christianity in some form, the two major groups, they can't even get along. But l- let me tell you, it's not about faith, the difference between the battle in Northern Ireland. It's about who's going to be in power, who's going to be in control. You don't hear any doctrinal debates. They're not arguing about the doctrine of transubstantiation. And you're thinking, I don't have an idea what you just said, okay? Well, that's the difference between the Catholic view of, of uh, communion and the Protestant view of communion. Well, you don't hear people talk about that. They, they, don't, they don't argue about baptism, whether baptism will be done when a person's an infant or later on after their faith. They, they don't talk about the sacraments of the church. They don't, they don't talk about the authority of, of Rome compared. I mean, they're not talking about religious issues. They're talking about power. And so sometimes when people object to Christianity based on groups that have done things in the past or whether it's inconsistent with people in the present. Um, sometimes people, there's all kinds of bizarre stories that happened within this last year about people who have abused children and, and then you interview them and they talk about being Christians. Well, they're not following Jesus when they abuse children, all right? Can we agree with that? That has nothing to do with Christianity. And the reason we know that is true because of the teachings of Jesus. So why should we believe? Because it's true and it works. And it changes people's lives. And let me just say this for free. You know, Christianity is, the entry point is, is by faith. It's by trusting in who Jesus is and what he's done. And, and when you cross the line of faith and become a Christian, a Christ follower, when you, you who are an old person now become the new person, not in terms of age, but in terms of quality of what's on the inside. It's, it's a, an act of faith. And it's an act of faith in the past if you've already done it. It'll be an act of, of faith in the future if you haven't done it. But in the in-between time, it should always be in the present, right? Not I did believe, I do believe. Does that make sense? We, we keep on believing. Why do I keep on believing? One of the reasons I've seen so many lives changed by Jesus which means one of the reasons I believe it's true because I've seen him work in people's lives and our lives were completely changed. doesn't mean they were perfect, but you can see what they once were and what they are now. Does that make sense? Those who were completely fearful of death and, and now they realize there's a home reserved for them in heaven. Those who experienced no peace in the trials they went through now experience the peace of God in the midst of the trial. Th- those who had no wisdom now became, become their eyes and hearts become enlightened with the truth and they begin to live lives that that show, show that they, they know a God who, who can lead them and guide them. And, and you begin to see all these differences in people's lives. And that shows that it's true. Real quickly, because time is fleeting. Um, I, I just, a, 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 another kind of observation here. Isn't it interesting that the disciples say, uh, shall, we, shall we take out a sword and fight them? Uh, Lord, shall we strike with a sword? And before Jesus can answer, what do they do? They slice someone's ear off. Now, as I read that, I was just thinking, yeah, does, that, does that ever happen to you where, where someone asks you a question and then they do it before you get an answer out? 
And if you've ever done that, you, you've asked a question, and before they can answer, you do something. <laughs> happens all the time. And, and it happened with them. And, and that just a picture of what happens often in our walk with Jesus. Sometimes we really don't want to know what he wants us to do because we do it before he tells us what he wants us to do. And he's told us, and he's written it down so many times, and yet we don't, we don't turn to this book and say, God, what is it you want me to do? And, and they went out in a rash fit of emotion, and they, they went to battle, and that's exactly opposite what Jesus wants. And, of course, Jesus graciously comes, and, and probably it was Peter we found in another account where he's probably aiming for the person's head and misses and hits his ear. And what does Jesus do? He comes not to hurt but to heal. And so when people say that Christianity shouldn't be believed because of all the damage it's done in people's lives, that's not Jesus working. Because every time you saw Jesus, those who were hurting were made well. Those who were hurting, Jesus healed. Real quickly, um, verses 52 and 53. Then Jesus said to the chief priests and officers of the temple and elders who had come against him, have you come out with swords and clubs as you would against a robber? While I was with you daily in the temple, you did not lay hands on, on me, but this hour and the power of darkness are yours. Now, now I, I, basically what I'm dealing here was the issue of, of the accusation we hear all the time. Well, the reason I can't believe uh, in Christians, or the reason I don't want to go to church because uh, all the people in, who go to church are hypocrites. Have you heard that before? Uh, or they don't, I, I don't want to go to church and be a hypocrite. Well, let's just be honest. Everybody's a what? The hypocrite. Do you always, always do everything that you know you ought to do? Anybody want to raise their hand? Well, if any of us, you know, being an author of self, know, I don't always do everything I want to do. Well, whenever we don't do what we know we ought to do, we're being a hypocrite, right? Because we say one thing, think one thing, but we do the opposite. So just join the club. Everyone's a hypocrite. All right? And, and those, they were attacking his disciples about being hypocrites, and basically Jesus turns the, 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 the spotlight on them. Hey, if I'm such a guilty person, if I'm deserving to be arrested, if I am deserving to, to be put before the judgment, then why didn't you do it during the daylight, which is the only legal way for you to do this? Because they were hypocrites. And Sometimes, and this is the hard-hitting thing I want to say here, Jesus showed the hypocrisy of some who rejected him and his message. And, and, and this comes true with people who refuse to believe at times. And I've asked a number of people this question, would you surrender your life to Jesus if you were convinced it works and is true? Now, you would think, stated that way, and, and usually I'll say this way, I, I know I'm not smart enough to convince you, I, I can't argue well enough to, to present it in a way that becomes convincing. But let's say I was able to do that. I was able to convince you that Christianity is true, and it will change your life, it will work. Would you then surrender your life to Jesus by faith? And often the response I've gotten from people is no. And, and yet they will argue with me about whether Christianity is true or not. Well, the issue then is not whether it's true, is whether you'll surrender. Isn't that true? So their, their arguments are hypocritical because it doesn't really matter what the truth is. Their mind is made up and they don't want to be confused with the facts. And that was true in Jesus' day. And then Luke chapter 22, verses 66 through 71. And, and I'll just summarize that passage. You can read it at home. Uh, Jesus goes to one of the trials and, and they begin to examine Jesus. And they, and they want Jesus. They can't get him for doing anything wrong. So they want to get him on, reli on religious grounds or spiritual grounds. Are you the Christ? Are you the one who was promised? Who are you? And Jesus said, look it. 
If I give you an answer, you're not going to believe it. You know, and if I ask you a question, you won't answer me. But I'll just tell you, I'm the one who's going to come in power when I come again. And they say, are you the Christ? And he says, yes, I am. Yes, I am. And the I am is the, the statement that God gave Moses in Exodus chapter 3 when Moses said, well, who, who should I say sends me when he was delivered his people from, from Pharaoh and just tell him I am sent me. And, and they knew what that meant because they immediately said, we don't, we don't need to hear it from anybody else. He has condemned himself by what he has said. Now, I summarize it all to make this simple point. Jesus shows clearly it really is about who is Jesus to you. Sometimes we, we complicate Christianity or what it means to be a follower of Jesus with so many different words, and of course I've used a lot of words this morning, but what is it really all about? It's about what those who had Jesus on trial were asking him, who are you? Just who are you? And, and Jesus, in no uncertain terms, in the language that they understood, in the culture they understood, I am the one who is the Messiah, the Son of the living God, who came to deal with your sin. And so, really, the question this morning is, is it working for you? And is it true to you? And, and when you wonder, well, I, I'm not sure if it's working, I'm not sure if it's true. Well, just look at Jesus. He shows it does work. And when you read through the rest of the New Testament, it worked for those who followed him and had the Spirit of God living within them. Not perfectly because they, they at times had lapses of faith, but it worked for them. And hopefully you have people in your life, you, you can see how Jesus made a difference in their life. Again, not perfectly, but Jesus made a difference because it made a difference in their life. It's one of the convincing things for you to believe it is true because it works in them. But it all gets down to, who is Jesus? How do you explain who he is? No matter what he encountered, he lived it. He lived what he preached. He was that preacher who practiced what I preach. And he practices it. And the reason it, it worked is because it's true. Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life. Let's pray together. Well, I pray as we just ask ourselves the question, is it working and is it true for us? This is really what it's all about because who is Jesus? It all rises and falls on Jesus. He lived it, he taught it, and now he offers it. Offers it up for us to continually trust in him, or maybe for some here this morning, to trust in you for the first time. Father, if, if someone here doesn't know you, I just pray that they might just do the ABCs of the gospel, admit their need and turn from their sin. Believe that Jesus is the Christ and died on the cross for us paid the penalty for our sin, and then commit, commit to follow Jesus as their Lord and God and Savior, their leader and forgiver. And when we choose to do that, we invite you in, into our lives. You make us a new person on the inside. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Let's stand as we...